Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Recovery from Relapse meeting. My name is Rudy Q. Today is the 13th of February, 2024, and I am delighted today to welcome our speaker, Rachel B. Rachel came to away about 29 years ago. She is from London and currently still lives there, and I am going to let her um, turn it over to her now to tell you about her experience, strength, and hope. Take it away, Rachel, my love. Thanks, Rita. So hi, I'm Rachel. I'm a compulsive overeater. And as Rita said, I've been in the programme for about 29 years. My current length of abstinence is two years and a quarter. So you know what I have? I qualify for the recovery from relapse being speaker. Absolutely. Um, one of the things I'm actually I'm really, really pleased to be able to speak at this meeting because I have had a real history of relapse and I used to be so, so ashamed of that, that I would only ever share in meetings when things were going well and would kind of hide out um, when I was really struggling because I was ashamed. And um, so, yeah, it's it's lovely to actually be able to say, you know what, this is my journey. This is my journey. Um, and just to say also that although I have all these years of abstinence, of re being in recovery and two and a half, 40 years of abstinence, um, I went to a convention, a face-to-face -face convention, um, I think it was one or two years ago, um, and they had this really sweet little activity where they asked everybody in the room to put in a pebble into a bowl for every year that they'd been abstinent to see how much abstinence there was in the room. And I thought, that, oh, my God, I can only put in like one pathetic little pebble. That's terrible. And um, shared this with the person who was organizing the activity. She said, no, she said, put in a pebble for every year or part of a year when you've been abstinent. And I could put in a pebble for every single year because there hasn't been a year that I've been in recovery that I haven't been abstinent for at least a few months of it and there have been some times when I have had unbroken years but you know what it hasn't been you know there's I hope there's going to be no more um relapses I hope I've found a way that I don't need to do it it doesn't have to be part of people's journeys but it is part of mine so where did I begin I think I've always been an overeater I cannot remember a time when um food wasn't the thing that I comforted for it really really started very young with me um, I was born into a loving but very chaotic family where there was a, a lot of addiction about, partic actually particularly food addiction. Um, and I learned everything I know about compulsive overeating from my father, whom I adored, but who was addicted to many, many things. Um, and it was not at all a healthy relationship. Um, however, he was my hero. He was my binge buddy. Um, it ended up with me having to keep a lot of secrets in the family because of some of the things that he was doing. So I was the one who would, had to keep all the secrets to make sure that the family stayed okay. Or at least that's what I grew up feeling. Of course, I realize now that was not at all um, a healthy or helpful thing to put on a child. You know what? My dad did the best he could. Um, and he gave me a lot as well as um, some bits of it that really were not good enough parenting. Um, and I picked up food very early on as a way to be able to just manage myself and the world. Um, and I was lucky enough to be very um, intel academically intelligent, but I felt as if the world was just like really, really confusing. And part of that was, well, if I'm so clever, how come I don't know how to make relationships with people like everybody else seems to do so easily? How come I can't, don't seem to be able to sleep the way that everybody else seems to be able to do? And crucially, how come I don't know how to eat like everybody else just seems to do completely easily? Um, 
partly of course I didn't realize at that stage not for very very many years that actually I wasn't built the same as everybody else and, and that actually is a, it was an issue but in fact my disease for a very very long time was labeled being a greedy pig with no willpower and that was certainly how I saw myself and that was certainly how I was viewed I think by most of the people around me and my body was in my family became the kind of battleground between various family members um, I was put on my first diet when I was about eight um, and that started a real cycle of the good old yo-yo dieting um, and I went along with various other members of my family to the Payanways and we'd all go there together and then um, my particular habit would be to starve myself during the week and then after I'd been weighed would then binge because I could because I had a whole week you, you know my I could never ever ever diet sensibly and my food, the, the way that I ate was very, was, was really crazy. Um, I didn't, I think I was in such a crazy place where, where the people doing crazy things around me, I didn't really realize, but now looking back and I think, really? Um, you know, so I, um, I, I forgot to ask if it's okay to mention food, so I won't. Um, but so certainly, you know, and I would go in for big binges from a very young age and I prepared them myself. And I remember getting caught doing it once by my mother and the absolute shame of it. Um, I don't even remember the end of the incident because they're just that moment where we faced each other. And there I was with all this food that I wasn't supposed to have. Um, and that kind of was my life that, but I also really needed it because I just couldn't cope with this very bewildering world. And also the crumbling, excoriating sense of self-hate. I absolutely, the, the way I made sense of the world was to assume that I was absolutely awful because I should be able to do all these things and couldn't therefore there must be something fundamentally wrong with me I used to write myself lists I was a great list maker even from a child and one of the lists that I would make very frequently was um, things I need to do in order to become a human being I felt so low about myself and so alienated that I didn't even think that I was worthy of the title human being um, and of course top of the list was always 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 get thin and that was the one thing I could never ever 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 achieve well he's not thin enough for what I thought was going to be okay so um now of course I realize it's because I was absolutely looking in the wrong place so that was kind of how my childhood developed and I also um I do want to share this because it's my journey and I maybe some of yours but one of the things that I used to binge on really strangely was paper um and when I first came into the rooms I thought oh my god I have done things that are so bizarre. Um, and when I came, it was only when I first had the courage to share that I used to eat paper a lot, um, that I realized not only did other people have, um, also have experience of eating non-food stuffs, it's got a name. I didn't, who knew? So whatever problem I've ever had with food, and for anybody who's new, whatever problem you have with food, there'll be at least one other person who has done something, whatever crazy thing. And I've done some pretty crazy things. I've done the eating out of bins. Um, as I got older, one of my favorite um, binges was ordering um, a takeaway meal for four to be delivered. And I would somehow convince myself that it was somehow cheaper because I was going to have some of it tomorrow. And then the some crazy thing was going on in my mind. I would eat the lot. When somebody came to the door, I would pretend that there were other people there to share that food with me. And I thought, nobody else does anything that crazy. And yet, when I finally had the courage to do that, it's like, oh, yeah, I've done that one too. 
I've done one. I will say for all my relapses, I haven't done that one since I came into recovery. Um, and I'll talk about kind of, you know, how my relapses. Um, when I was 11, um, I actually did have a, um, a period of what turned out to be psychosis um, when things got very, very mad. And I couldn't talk to anybody. I thought I thought I, I really did think I was the alien. I was so alienated. So my mental health problems got quite serious. And um, but I couldn't ever tell anybody about them. All I could do was eat. And one of the problems that I find with having the disease of compulsive eating is that it kind of worked for a long time. Actually, it really did. You know, I really can absolutely numb myself out on food. There's no question. It will alter my mood, which is what I wanted at that time. What I didn't realize was that was absolutely not what I needed. And of course, it it spiraled and it became worse and worse. So I, I left home, still doing the binge and starve thing, went to university, did an, got, went to, a, I mean, that's the thing, on the outside, everything looked good. I mean, apart from the fact that I was going up and down the scale, increasingly large amounts, I think, um, and I'm afraid I'm not very good at translating numbers, but I'll say my weight swung around nine stone. Um, I never got very, very thin. Um, but I did get pretty large, um, but my weight would go up and down. And I remember doing an absolutely spectacular diet in university and very, very quickly lost a huge, huge amount of weight. So I was at this good university studying for a degree. What did I get all the praise for? What did I get all the adulation for? Losing more than half my body size. Um, and that was, and that, that was one of the things I think that really kind of skewed helped skew my thinking that I got very much involved in that I loved that adulation I loved that feeling of you know being the princess who throws off the ugly cloak to reveal the beautiful person inside except that I never felt like that beautiful person inside the if I did have if I felt like I looked right it always felt like it was inauthentic um like I was squeezing myself and at any minute it was going to explode out again and of course, inevitably, that's what happened because I could never keep up any of these mad diets. They were totally bonkers. I was doing the 5-2 before anybody else was. Only I did five days of starvation and two days of binging. But even on that, I would end up losing weight. It was so crazy. It was so crazy. So that carried on into my... It's just to let you know. Okay. Thanks, Claire. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so um, I got married, house, cat, all of it. And then... Um, my marriage broke down because we, I mean, I've got married to a really nice guy, but we got married for all the wrong reasons and very, very young. And mostly I got married because I thought it was, a, you know, really handy to have this good looking, nice bloke on my arm, because that, of course, was going to be what's going to make me OK, um, which it didn't, of course. Um, so I came out as a lesbian and I thought, all oh, right, OK, that's it. That's the answer. That's what I've been eating on for all these years. It's my sexuality. And to be fair, it really did answer a lot of questions and it did absolutely help. However, what it didn't do is to stop me eating. Um, I have to say, what I also discovered um, around, uh, also discovered that I did have an eating disorder. And at that time, again, it's very much an outside issue. So I'll just sort of mention it briefly. But there was a, a kind of movement that said, actually, um, it, if you want to stop binging, what you need to do is to allow yourself um, any food that you want and eventually your system will just um, be able to adjust to it because what you've been doing is depriving yourself all those years, which made sense to me. Trouble is, there are, they just are not enough of certain foods. I It was terrifying. I would allow myself to allow myself. I never, ever, ever stopped. Never. Um, 
until I was either um, so full that I was about to be very seriously ill um, or whatever it was was simply finished. Um, and there were certain foods that, that were like that. But at that stage, of course, I didn't realize I had, well, the problem was I had an allergy to these foods. Anyway, so I came out um, and I met um, a woman whom I really liked and that was all great. The um, still was eating fit to bust, uh, but she seemed to like me large or small. That was really nice. But very quickly, um, she's actually in another fellowship. Um, and she said in the most recovered and nice way that if I didn't sort my shit out, um, then this relationship was not going to work. And that was not like an ultimatum. It was simply that she was not prepared to put up with my behavior because whilst I thought I was like being so nice and pleasant and wonderful, actually I was not emotionally available. I was not able to, to I was not in a place where I could have, have um, any kind of sensible um, committed relationship actually because I was too busy binging the whole time. So um, that was how I came into the rooms because she recognized what was going on and effectively 12 stepped me in, which, um, so people often say that they come to the rooms for the vanity, uh, vanity stay for the sanity. Um, people come safe because they're desperate. I came in because I wanted to keep a relationship. I will say, however, in my defense, that worked because we are still together some nearly 30 years later um, and I'm still here. So yeah, that bit worked. So I got into the rooms and started, this is where my tendency to be dramatic actually helped because I absolutely threw myself into the program. I got a sponsor really quickly. I worked the steps. Um, fantastic. This is great. Um, I remember that uh, the first thing I heard at my first meeting, two things. One was keep coming back. And the other was three meals a day, nothing in between. And I thought, okay, I can certainly latch onto the three meals a day, nothing in between. Although it was pretty scary. I was eating so much that I thought I was going to die of starvation between lunch and dinner, dinner, you know, dinner and breakfast again. Um, you know, surprise, surprise. Of course I didn't, but they were very, very big. And um, at that time, but I still ended up starting to lose weight simply because no matter how much I was eating in these three meals, it was less than I had before. I did my first step four. I didn't do it the big book way because I was such a nice person. Obviously, I did not have any resentments. So therefore, that was not going to work. Second time I did my step four, it was the big book way. And I had something like 400 resentments, which was perhaps a little more realistic. But one of the things I have learned over the years is uh, something my first sponsor said. It's like, do the steps. He said, do them quickly as well as you can right now. You can always do them again. And that actually has been my experience. I've, I've been through the steps several times. But one of the things that um, I was reflecting on this actually about um, the nature of relapse and recovery is that for all the times that I relapsed, I made some amends that first time through the steps. They stayed amended. There were some ones that were amazing, particularly with my family of origin. So I made an amend, for example, to my brother and our relationship has remained really good all these years. And it started off with me making my amends to him because I treated him so, so badly when we were kids because I was so jealous. Um, and he's a, a very generous, lovely soul. And, you know, when I said that, I remember making my amends to him and there was a pause and I thought, oh my God, he's going to tell me about all the other hundreds of times when I was really horrible. And he just said, but Rachel, you were so unhappy. I didn't even know that he'd noticed. I didn't even know he'd noticed, but he did. So, and with all my relapses, that, happened so what happened in recovery it was all going so well I 
think first time I simply got complacent and you know it's like oh yeah I know what all this is the other thing was that I it took me a very very long time really 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 to get step one so I thought oh yeah I got this it's okay took my foot off the brake and also hadn't really although I had admitted in a general way that I was powerless over food I really hadn't got it about there are some foods that I am specifically actually allergic to so and the other thing was that I had I was following a food plan that somebody else had suggested that was right for them turned out wasn't right for me so I was kind of vulnerable and I ended up relapsing got back on the horse started again and I'm not going to go through all of it because you know I'll be here forever but there was this pattern for where I'd kind of like have a few years uh, of abstinence and then fall off the wagon what would often there would be two things that would trigger it it would be either that um, I get complacent or something big really big would happen in my life and my my recovery just wasn't strong enough and actually I'm going to fast forward to the last time that I relapsed because it was um, a fairly similar pattern that something very difficult it happened in my life I have a, um, a son my partner and I adopted a son who has a lot of additional needs and his has had lots of lots and lots of difficulties in his life um, and a, a couple of years ago um, he had a, he had a mental health breakdown that was very very difficult and we had it was a very dramatic time we had um, lots we had lots of police involved it, it, it was really awful um, and we ended up in, I ended up in hospital with him sitting by his bedside and at three o'clock in the morning, um, not knowing, he couldn't come home. We didn't know where he was going to go. Didn't know. So it was all very, very difficult. And I felt utterly alone. It was just me. And guess what? Some of his snacks. And I ate some of his snacks. Um, and then the next day I ate a few more. I was really lucky because the one thing that I have done right. That one thing I can absolutely say, hand on heart, I've done right in recovery is keep coming back. And I was still, I still had my foot in the foot in the rooms. So after a few days, I just thought, get on this girl and made arrangements, even though in this difficult situation, got to a meeting, started phoning, found myself another sponsor because I guess what, dropped my sponsor because with all of this difficulty that happened. And what I realized was I need a recovery. I need a recovery that is going to get me through those really dramatic and difficult times. And also the times when I think I've got it. I need a daily reprieve. And I really, really looked at, first of all, how am I powerless over food? And I kind of, do you know what I really knew? If When I got honest, I knew what my binge foods were. And one of the things is that some of my binge foods are not as common. You know, there are some foods that I think lots and lots of us are really struggle with. And some of us that maybe not quite so many of us do. Um, and as they say, my abstinence will kill you or my food plan will kill you. Your food plan will kill me. I needed to get absolutely honest about what was what were the substances that for me, when I put them in my mouth, one is too many and a thousand is not enough. And God knows I had enough experience of that. Um, the other, so that was the first part, but that's kind of like absolutely only the beginning. It's like kind of, for me, that's the, um, the way that I can get to the rest of the steps. That's just step one. And the step that I've always had the most difficulty with is actually step two, coming to believe that there's a power greater than myself that can restore me to sanity. Um, in, 
that my family of origin, um, although we had culturally had a religion, the general tenor was it's weak and despicable to believe in God. And um, I really struggled with that for a long time. And I still don't talk about my spiritual beliefs with my family because they just think it's completely weird, which is fine. But it's just, you know, I don't talk to them about it. Um, and I really had to find a God of my understanding. And in the same way that I really do find that I think we've all got different things, you know, our bodies all react slightly differently. Like, you know, so probably no two of us necessarily. That's 20 minutes, Rachel. Thanks very much. Necessarily have the same um, same food plan. I suspect there's probably as many versions of higher power as there are people in recovery. And they're all fine. They're all fine. The point is to find the one that works for me. Um, so, And what works for me is kind of beyond words, um, which for somebody who talks such a lot is was kind of tricky. Um, but for me, there's something about connection. There's something about when I connect with other human beings or actually with, with nature, if I connect with life, as it were, there's something greater than me. And that's what restores me to sanity or actually gives me sanity because I don't think I knew anything to, about sanity before I came into the room. So I don't think I had a sane moment really. Um, but that's what gives me the sanity. It's that connection. And that's about as much as I can define it. But I can also say it works and I can pray to it, whatever it is. Um, in fact, I did went, go through a phase of um, my prayers were addressed to, to whom it may concern. Um, one thing I do know about my higher power, what it, however it manifests, it certainly has a sense of humour. Um, but I needed that really, really strong connection. And for me, what I find is that when I have that strong sense of a connection, actually, hand step three, handing it over, that actually becomes much more straightforward because it makes sense. Once I know what I'm handing, got some vague idea of what I'm handing over, it's like, well, actually, yeah, this is going to work. And I've seen it now as well. Um, and actually, do I believe that as power greater than myself could restore me to sanity? Absolutely, because not only have I seen it in hundreds, probably thousands over the years of people that it works for, but I've known it for myself. It's a really simple equation. They say it works if you work it. Who knew? There's a definition of insanity that says that insanity is... Um, keeping on doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Know that one. But I think the corollary is true as well. Insanity is knowing perfectly well what's going to work and then not doing it. And I tend to do get to that one a little bit more. Uh, it's like, oh yeah, I know prayer will work. Why don't I just do something different instead? Really? Um, so for me, it's, it's about really working on that connection because when I have that connection, I can remember that I'm a positive overeater. I don't need to eat, that actually... I don't need to do that numbing out that had served me all those years ago and then stopped serving me. Actually, what I can do is to be in recovery and have that connection. And the other thing is that they say that the only form of permanence is repetition. I think I probably go to sleep and forget I'm a compulsive overeater and I need to remind myself every morning. So what's at the moment keeping me well is day at a time and it is a day at a time. Um, is a route. I have a, a, a daily routine of prayers. I make a food plan that I'm sending to a food buddy. I work with a sponsor, although at the moment um, I'm looking for a sponsor because sadly um, I had a lovely, lovely sponsor, but she's not able to sponsor me anymore, uh, which is to do with her and not to do with me. Um, so I feel as if there's like a, a part of my um, safety net that where there's a hole that I am actively seeking to fill, but it's not the whole safety net. It's part of it. 
you know, there's part of the connection and I just have to be aware that I need to, to mend that hole as soon as I can, which I'm doing actively looking. So any sponsors out there? Um, I have a daily routine of prayers, of calling people, all of those sorts of things, but all of it, they're tools for me to be able to connect with a higher power. Because I'm a great one sometimes for talking the talk and not necessarily walking the walk. And what I have found over the last two and a quarter years is that I've actually experienced food neutrality. I never thought like, every time I gave up a food that I realized I was allergic to, I thought the world was going to go gray in my usual dram over dramatic fashion um, that, um, you know, there was all the colors going to, I'm never going to be able to do this. And then what I would do is I'd struggle for a couple of weeks. And then after a couple of weeks, that particular food would no longer appear to be food to me. And I can honestly say I have food neutrality around uh, my binge foods, which is extraordinary. I never thought that that would happen. I struggle more with kind of the the behaviors and some of some of those sorts of things and, and quantities trying to keep those I find that more nebulous but even so two and a quarter years I've been able to do that which is just amazing and I'm just going to finish on this as I said my son has a lot of additional needs and when I relapsed two and a quarter years ago um, what I wanted was what I needed what I needed was recovery that was going to take me through those dark times well you know what last November we had another of those really difficult times he had a real difficult time and he ended up homeless and I ended up for a month with him in a travel lodge motel um, where you weren't allowed to cook food or anything like that um, so we had to spend a month basically using delivery companies. There were no shops around. It was absolutely mad and bonkers. I felt so desperate, didn't know what was going to happen, didn't know what was going to happen to him. And I didn't relapse because instead of turning to the food, I just remembered that even at three o'clock in the morning when I'm awake and worrying, my higher power is still there. And my higher power still speaks to me through other people. I mean, actually, of course, in the days of Zoom, I could get on a meeting at God knows what, at any hour of the day or night. Thank you, footsteps, apart from anything else. But also, even when I couldn't get onto a meeting, there were podcasts I could listen to. There were just people I knew. I could hear their voices in my head. And in that difficult time, my food was absolutely fine. Um, my weight stayed exactly the same. And I felt connected and we came through it and today I'm okay he's okay just for today I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow but what I do know is that what there's one promise that I always feel really has come true for me which is um we will know how to handle situations which used to baffle us I used to be baffled the whole time and I've been in some very baffling situations but now I have the confidence do you know what when I come across a baffling situation I know what to do with it and it's to come here so I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much. Oh, that's wonderful, Rachel. Thank you so much. I'm just going to read a little passage out of more about alcoholism to back up Rachel's story. Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers and eating careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is a great obsession of every abnormal drinker. The persistence of this illusion is astonishing and many pursue it and the gates of insanity or death. 